0: Oh boys, looks like we started the fun without me. Right. You're all sick. Every last one of
1: you. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger gun.
0: What's the matter? You are scared of things that go boom? Give me one goddamn reason why I shouldn't blow your goddamn brains all over that goddamn wall. My name is Eric. And I am here today to rediscover some cult movies with Michael Kester. Hi, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. Nobody asked if you were fucking happy. Nobody (laughs) asked. Who asked you? You think if I I care if you're happy, I care if you're rediscovering cult movies today. Well, one thing at a time.
1: One discovering, one rediscovering. The two movies, we're doing Vampire's Kiss and Repo Man. Um, There's no horror on today's show. Surprise,
0: (laughs) turns out. Um, Wait, doesn't one of these movies have like uh, Nicolas Cage coming back to like take Sarah Brightman's eyes or something? Isn't that, am I thinking of the right? Uh, Yeah, that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is not Repo the Genetic Opera. Yeah. But it is Vampire's Kiss. I mean, there's no, you could try to confuse Repo Man when you look it up to watch it, but there is simply no confusing <laughs> <laughs> Vampire's Kiss. Uh, Yeah, so we got, um. It's it's definitely like, it
1: fe- it's sort of like extremely superficial and yet very like a deep dive cult day today mm. these movies are essentially you know at the at the uh, at the very surface of cult canon but i think that the difference between where they live in cult canon and understanding them is like 20 fathoms
0: totally agree yeah i uh i think there's something a little I don't know. You know, you see a a movie that's very strange, like let's say The Room. Let's talk about The Room nice and early. Um, We talk about The Room the way we might even talk about something like Rocky Horror. We talk about movies that are pretty bizarre, pretty culty when you see them. They're midnight movies. They're movies that an audience, I won't necessarily say laughs at them, but appreciates that they're so wild. They're a, a kind of visual audio onslaught. Mm -hmm. And fine, that's a take. That's a take on the movie. But I think both of these movies, that's like tip of the iceberg for them. And so I want to, this is scary to put out this early in the show, but I want to try to explore the rest of the iceberg on what makes Vampire's Kiss special Mm -hmm. and what makes Repo Man special. Mm -hmm. Why these are beyond just, wow, wasn't that crazy? weird anyways go back to your life you know why these movies made the impression they did and became cult cinema that's at least uh you know that's the goal to shoot for but uh if we could just survive the next uh (laughs) if our show could simply survive the runtime duration of the episode i'll also be uh happy to get out alive speaking of getting out alive michael kester yeah. There's a Patreon. Yes. It's uh it's draining faster than Nicolas Cage's victims. Wow.
1: I'm not even sure what that means in the context of this either. movie. A <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, Patreon. It's a it's a beautiful, wonderful place where you can go. You can give us some money to number one thing. We always talk, you know, why is it always about what you get? What you get is you get to keep the things you love alive, okay? It's not always, well, what do I get for my $5? But hey, if you give us some amount of money that I'm unfamiliar with, I've never been to the Patreon. Uh, you get to choose movies. Uh, like next week, for example, we're doing a listener chosen
0: film. Oh my God, I forgot that's true. That's been a long yeah. time coming. I've been telling people, send in your listener picks. Yeah, People have been sending them and here comes one next week. So you get to give us some money and in return, we do half of our normal work it's a really good system I think these are oddly challenging because I think they're way harder especially at this point the listeners are recommending stuff like they kind of know what we might struggle with a blind spot we might have Mm -hmm. you know they're going wow this movie that I like these guys never talk about anything even you know approaching it why don't they cover more stuff like this? Right, and then we see it. And neither one of us has ever seen the movies, and we sort That's of go. That's the uh, part for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, how yeah, do you pair like, a
1: movie with something you've never
0: even heard of? Well, or at least never seen. If you stick through to the end of the episode, you'll find out what the movie is and what we're pairing it with. And if you have a movie that uh, you've been thinking, "Hey, I really like this. I think it's weird. I don't get it." I want to just hear another human being talk about it. Or I wonder what this would look like on the podcast Double Feature with another movie. That's on the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Double Feature. For the people who are patrons on the Patreon, send us a message on there and let us know what movies you'd like us to take a look at this year. We'll pick one, we'll pair it up. We might pick a couple, actually, depending on how many people send them in. No promises, mm-hmm, but just mm-hmm. send us a little list and uh, you'll be, I believe you'll be delighted.
1: Um, speaking of delighted,
0: um, I <laughs> we was- We don't need a transition the, for everything. The
1: entire time I was watching Vampire's Kiss, uh-huh. this happens now and again on this show. But for anybody who who we haven't talked about this in a minute, for anybody who's coming to our show for the first time or for the first time in a while, uh, thank you, welcome. Go back to the journey. It's a really good time this year. But so we're actually in two different places. You're in New York City. I'm in uh, San Francisco. We used to do this show. Not only did we record this show in the same room, but we watched the movies together, like sort of religiously. And Vampire's Kiss was one of the one of the first moments in a long time on double feature that I was like really upset that I didn't get to watch you watch the movie. Oh yeah. Cause there's just scenes where Nicolas Cage is, is running down the street screaming, I am a vampire. <laughs> and I was just like, these morsels of this film uh-huh. are things that had we watched it together would have become beyond inside jokes. It would have become like internal lexicon for you and I, when we went to get cuppy burritos at pick me up cafe and It's just this whole fucking, this movie is just, so we've got these two movies today. We're talking cult movies. And Vampire's Kiss is the one I hadn't seen before. I didn't know really what to expect. I put it on the show. I suggested it because I thought it would be horror-y and I thought it'd be cool to follow up VHS with like one more overreach of spookiness. (laughs) And uh, I mean, man, I can't think of, you mentioned The Room, and The Room has sort of its own set of, of bafflement to it. But how long did you watch this movie before you went, "Oh, Nicolas Cage is doing a fake accent on purpose." The
0: <laughs> I really like, "We're going to do this accent the whole time." Really? <laughs> the whole time? And you know, it's so perplexing immediately. It's like, "Why is he talking like that?" And why is everyone staring at each other's ankles? And I, I just have a new question every, every minute with this movie. Uh, and the accent was one of the first things where I felt like, you know, I watched the movie, I had a couple days to think about it. And after I watched it, I sort of went, okay, well, that's a big choice. You know, we made some big choices here. I don't know, that was a real wild movie. And it was only a few days later that I was thinking about, all right, so what happened in this movie? And I started thinking about all of the just reprehensible stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, his character literally raped someone in the movie. Then there's the whole last like 20 fucking minutes wandering through <laughs> the street yelling at people. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, having, a, having a trash can therapy, which... Yeah, just begging for death. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really pretty dark. And it sort of dawns on me how how dark the movie actually is. Mm-hmm. Where it doesn't read that way, I feel, at all when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about that fucking accent. And I was like, well, of course it doesn't read dark. He, listen to how he's talking the whole movie. Right. Like, a big part of this movie is him berating his secretary. Just being the worst bully on earth. I mean, the it's... It's unbelievable, even before there's literally a rape scene in the movie, even just the way he addresses her, the fact he sends her on a wild goose chase. Uh, I mean, I I suppose it turns out not being a wild goose chase, but he just, he assigns her this insane task. He follows her to her, or, you know, uh, goes to her house when she, calls into work, Mm -hmm. lures her back in the office, and then the second she's trapped, like, berates her more. He's just terrible to her. And I was thinking about that, you know, we logline these movies and we kind of talk about, all right, what's the movie trying to do? And I couldn't get through thinking about what is the logline of Vampire's Kiss without surprising myself with how just cruel and awful his character is mm-hmm. and then being again surprised that I didn't feel that way at all during the movie. It was never shocking like, you know, Gaspar Noe shocking. Right. It's definitely surprising, but I'm not going like, this is the worst person on earth he needs to burn for his crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, Michael, I think it's the stupid accent. I really think it becomes so Bugs Bunny that you just do not
1: I think that the I think that he as a character is putting on an accent. That's how it reads to me. I don't think that's his actual accent because when he's by himself it doesn't come out as strongly as when he's like trying to seem like some haughty pompous dick in front of someone.
0: Oh yeah, oh totally, totally. Well, it's that layer of it too.
1: Yeah, but I I definitely think that that the complexity of this movie is that this character you're you're basically you know we've talked about unreliable narrator over and over and over at nauseum, but this is a character that doesn't even know what's going on the whole time mm-hmm. and we're stuck with them and it's only through the mercy of the filmmaking that they ever cut away and go no it's a trash can not a therapist
0: yeah yeah <laughs> the mercy of the filmmaker or
1: like through or or they go they go see he's bringing he's bringing breakfast to no one mmm You know, and and those are the only glimpses. I mean, that's, that is like, the movie doesn't need to do that. The movie could just keep that suggested, but they want you to know that not only is none of this going on, but that is sort of like when we talked about, you mentioned Gaspar Noé, sort of like when you talk about Irreversible, a movie that uh, for those, for people who don't know, it's told in reverse order so you see the end first and the beginning second and and what it ends up doing is letting you know that certain actions never have consequences because you know how it ends yeah and this is a movie that sort of walks that same line where you go he has he is so lost of the reality to the point where he is being you know vigilante, justicely murdered at the stake he doesn't realize for what crimes. He simply goes, because a vampire must perish. (laughs) And it's like, there's no vindication because he is so far into his lunacy that he's going, ah, yes, a vampire dies at the stake. And I, a true vampire must die this way. Uh, Thank you for ending my (laughs) life. And you're like, no, asshole. I want you to know I'm killing you because you raped my sister.
0: So let's talk about this vlog line because now we've got some perspective into what the movie might really be doing. It operates maybe on a couple levels of reality. I think this is a movie about a high-strung guy who we know has some mental stuff he's working through. He sees a therapist. I don't want to get as specific as labeling it anxiety or loneliness or whatever, but it's a high-strung guy who gets so strung out that he believes he's become a vampire and uh, it affects his decision-making and ultimately takes control of his life. That's my reality read of it. I think if you were doing an actual logline, you'd probably be even more coy about the vampire part of it. Mm -hmm. But I guess the big question is, vampires or no vampires?
1: I don't think it's a question when you get to the teeth-purchasing scene. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Michael, (laughs) I love movies. I love (laughs) movies so much. I love movies that I don't think I love. Yeah. I just, I'm so delighted by film and I just can't. Yeah, uh, I forgot about purchasing the plastic vampire teeth, of course. (laughs) Who could forget? I also love in that scene, like they, the play in the scenes is really good. The way this is written, it's uh, the same writer who wrote the movie After Hours, which probably not the first time that that'll come up on today's show, given how Repo Man plays out. But the kind of play that scenes like that are written with, where he walks in and they have, you know, some pretty good vampire teeth. And he looks at them and he kind of thinks about himself in them and it completes his picture of who he is and he's going to get these teeth. It's really going to progress this great way that the story just uh, continues to tear down his sanity and he's going through this, you know... Good old downward spiral. And so he takes out his wallet. He goes to pay for the vampire teeth. He doesn't have enough money. And then right. he has to get the, the cheap $1, you know, plastic, whatever they are, uh, vampire teeth. Mm-hmm. And just cuts right to the scene of him wearing them. And it's
1: just... Right. Like, yeah. He's walking He's walking around in in a dark New York street so with a teeth. And he... Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> he... Um, that is is sort of the tipping point where the film sort of stops following him in the same way. The film in the in the scene where he can't afford the expensive vampire teeth, it's when the film goes, Okay, wait, this guy's a joke. And he starts that's when he starts, you know, spooking people out in the street and screaming, I am a vampire and
0: Well, that that's the moment where like I, I think there's a reading today that this movie's kind of American psychoe. Sure, y you know? Sure, That it's sort of, you're, you're getting this picture into the mind of somebody like this. But that's the scene, I have a similar reaction to watching that, where I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. now we're looking at him from outside. And furthermore, looking at him from outside, I kind of feel like, oh, I'm watching a story about how you become one of those people who screams mm-hmm. crazy things on the street. Mm-hmm. And... You know, scares away passers by, which is essentially where he ends the movie. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you, what was the phrase you used that I like so much about the, the, the filmmaking being merciful, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that is, if there is a merciless uh, bit of the movie, it is like the last 20 minutes of the film. That is really just a long monologue that we cut back and forth from (laughs) about seemingly nothing. It really immerses you in street crazy. Yeah. And, you know, is maybe as uncomfortable as literally being near it, which is probably the best compliment you could pay to it.
1: So one of the things that this movie does that I we can't we can't move on without talking about is um, so it stars this guy's name's Nicolas Cage. Maybe you're familiar, he's a fairly well known actor. And he's kind of well known for being an actual lunatic. And especially in his contemporary work, uh, he's just you know, he'll show up in something, and they really they will typecast Nicolas Cage to the point of we need somebody who is fucking bat shit. Yeah. And then they'll cast Nicholas cage three out of four times. The fourth time it's pig and it's Nicholas cage proving that he's doing the crazy stuff on purpose, uh, which is just mind boggling. And it's a conversation we'll, that we'll have to park for another day. But when you look at his overall career, the craziness, there was that thing that, um, one of our old listeners, um, plugged uh, cage match where they kind of yes. weighed how crazy Nicholas cage was throughout his career. The thing that's interesting to me about thinking about Vampire's Kiss on the Nicolas Cage crazy scale is for me, like 10 is going to be mom and dad. It's always going to be mom and dad. Oh, it, really? Mom and dad out crazies Mandy to me. Huh. And again, park it for another day. Sure. Um,
0: okay. Controversy. But
1: I think that Vampire's Kiss is an absolute batshit performance. However, I think that the movie actually calls for a performance like this. I think he makes a lot of choices that just knock it out of the park like the affectation uh, or eating a cockroach, you know, things that that maybe sure. a non-Nicolas Cage casting would not have resulted in. So I think there is a natural crazy that comes out in his performance in this movie, but I would argue that this is actually one of his more nuanced performances because the crazy is directly funneled into what the movie is doing. Whereas a movie like mom and dad or um, not so much Mandy, Mandy kind of requires a little bit of insanity, but you know, a movie like mom and dad, a movie like drive angry um, prisoners of the ghost land came out this year those are movies where Nicolas Cage is cast because he's nuts and then he shocks you by how much nuttier he is than the nutty movie he's in.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Whereas Vampire's Kiss is a one-to-one perfect match and I think that, shy of maybe Willem Dafoe, this movie would have failed on a lot of levels if it didn't have Nicolas Cage keeping up the insanity to prove this point.
0: So, I, you and, you and I haven't really talked about this. I'm... Before anybody gets too excited about this, it's very small, but I am working on a Nicolas Cage project as we speak. And that is all I can say about it. But uh, I've learned some things doing this. (laughs) And, um, you know, it seems to me like he really makes choices Mm -hmm. that are, they are incredibly motivated. They're not just... Out there to be out there, but I will say, I I believe that he has this internal kind of. Um, there's something in him that wants to explode. There's something in him that really feels like he's gotta release all of this. Uh, I don't know these, these these quieter moments, these softer moments. The kind of things you talk about where, you know, one every five films or whatever, it's a little more subdued, that that really does have an effect on him, even movie to movie. And he can only get through so many of those, (laughs) you know, small scenes without feeling the need to really go big. But when you go back and even just look at what he said about Vampire's Kiss or other people who worked on Vampire's Kiss you know, he talked about being very influenced by the old German expressionist style of acting. And even beyond, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you and I have talked about Nosferatu, even beyond the kind of, the fact we're talking about horror movies, there was also something just to that entire method that was surreal, really. Mm-hmm. It makes you ask what the purpose of what he's doing is here. You know, that if you wanted to make a claim, you watch this movie and you go, wow, Nicolas Cage is being a madman. There's kind of an inherent statement in that, that the movie might be better in some way if he wasn't. And once you think about the inverse of that, once you really think, so if my critique is that Nicolas Cage is super crazy and he's making this movie super crazy, you know, think about the version of this movie that doesn't go that way. That movie in my head feels too subdued. Mm -hmm. It feels like this is a movie about somebody spiraling out of control. So he spirals out of control. And... I think this is another thing that that helps pair both of these movies today is they really do things outside of what's normal. You know, we expect to see actors show up and at least start at a baseline. I saw uh, Possession again recently. You remember mm-hmm. Possession? hmm Yeah. I don't know when the last time you saw that movie was when we watched it for the show, despite all the recent 4Ks. Yeah, so I mean, what's crazy about Possession is that the acting starts at a 10 and gets crazier in every scene. And, you know, it, it made me think about this a lot, like what the actual impact of that is. And doing this movie about this kind of delusional madness, you know, putting the audience inside his character's mind... I mean, I guess I have this kind of theory that if you made this film punchy German expressionistic black and white, like a 1920s horror film, that it would play authentically today. Mm -hmm. That you would watch it and you would watch it in a totally different gear where you're kind of, you feel like you're watching 20s German surrealist film if you were to deep fake Jim Carrey's face on a Nicolas Cage's body in this movie, I don't think people would have batted an eye. And yet there's just something about, you know, maybe it was the time it came out or the reception or whatever, but we watch it and, you know, I think the reaction is, wow, that was so crazy. But if somebody like Jim Carrey would have done it at his moment in the 90s, Mm -hmm we would have kind of gone, oh yeah, this is pretty standard affair, you mm-hmm. know? So it's it's really, to me, it's how outside the box it is when it comes out or for what you expect a movie called Vampire's Kiss to be about, putting it in a different context, like making it German expressionism, black and white. Then it suddenly starts to look like Nicolas Cage is doing exactly what's right for the film and not <laughs> acting on another wavelength, you know? Okay, let's talk about this fucking Repo Man.
1: I saw Repo Man when I was 18 years old. Uh, I I moved to Chicago uh, when I was 18. I went to um, this shitty art college called Columbia College of Chicago, and you know I had some cool things going on. Uh, I'm the the like student housing situation was actually just apartment buildings that were owned by the school, so you just got like chunked in with some roommates, but it was like two bedroom apartments. One of my roommates was like this hyper film nerd who had even outpaced me, you, anybody at that time. You know, like we moved in day one. He hangs a fucking 34 by 60 blue velvet poster (laughs) in the living room. Uh Uh-huh. Dude's 18.
0: So... Whereas today, I'm sure they hang up the Netflix TV movie of the week poster in the dorm room. That's... right, No one's doing that.
1: So... He put on Repo Man, um, you know, because I told him I was into movies. But when I, at that time, I thought I was into movies in in like an artistic way, but I was actually into movies in like, let me tell you the difference between Freddy 3 and Freddy 5, okay? Mm-hmm. So he put on Repo Man, and I remember sitting through this whole movie when I was an 18-year-old child and uh getting to the end and solely remembering the end where the the car flies to space and then when that movie was stupid and i then then for the next how old am i 26 years i is that math right jesus uh <laughs> that's not right <laughs> i <Sorry>. hope not <laughs> uh but for fine, the next, for the next years, 16 for the next 16 years I just would see Repo Man at the top of all of these cult film lists and be like, that's that stupid movie with the flying car at the end. It's like a whole bunch of shit that doesn't happen and then a car flies." And so I hadn't revisited it. I just sort of wrote it off as a movie I didn't give a shit about. Uh it would come up when I would go uh exploitation movies. Repo Man was always mm-hmm. on on, you know, half of those lists. And finally, uh we were trying to talk some real cult movies and and, you know, put ourselves in the line of fire for the show today. And dude, like I get it now. Great. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that like, I watched this movie and went, wow, this is boring. And then a car flies. And I didn't even have a smartphone at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like I was half paying attention. You're stuck in front of your tube television that's in a giant console on the floor. And uh, I watched it all the way to the end and then went, "Mm -hmm, it's boring, car flies. And in this, this, this watch, I vaguely remember the car flying.
0: Vaguely. Well, this is pretty miraculous, because I think of the two movies today, I mean, Vampire's Kiss is the movie that feels like it's, you know, 30 years too early. That's mm-hmm. the movie that is, memes hadn't been invented, you know? <laughs> and it's it's just Vampire's Kiss gives us millions of memes, whereas I think Repo Man, the modern climate works against Repo Man. Um, I mean, at this particular moment in time, you know, this stuff ebbs and flows. But yeah, it was. It's really funny that you bring up your smartphone, not having a smartphone, mm-hmm. and still it was kind of lost on you. Yeah, <laughs> the implication I assume being that for a modern audience, fucking with their phone all throughout the movie, you know, it certainly <laughs> never helps you. Uh, Repo Man's a really disjointed movie, so this uh, this movie reminded me of. After Hours even more than Vampire's Kiss Mm -hmm. because it is sort of an odyssey through, I don't know, urban landscape, however, Mm -hmm. highfalutin you want to make the, but we're fucking around going through a city kind of aimlessly vignette to vignette, sure, bumping into weirdos and exploring Mm -hmm. odd stories we don't think, um, you know we maybe question how real they are and then find out at the end of some of these little stories that they're more realistic than we thought. This is, uh, yeah, it's a very odd kind of storytelling. And there is a sort of conventional method for tying all of these things together. But Repo Man does not seem super concerned it's not the kind of movie going, wait, 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 by the end, all of this will weave into a delicate lattice work. It really is concerned with the reason to be there in the first place, which is like, hey, my, uh, my friend Jimmy, you got to meet this guy. He's so weird. He's so, let's, let's go <laughs> hang out with him. Wait till you meet him. He's really weird. And then you hang out there a while. You're like, yeah, that guy's weird, right? Hey, come over here. I got to show you this thing. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's bit to bit, but we can't give it a proper log line.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, this one's this one's kind of easy. Um, a young, dejected, punk Los Angeles youth decides to make some extra scratch by joining the repossession industry, uh, searching for the one big score, which may or may
0: not be a radioactive
1: car that flies to the moon.
0: Yes, I love the may or may not be of what awaits in the trunk. Just <laughs> a little bit of mystery on that. Man, that uh, you hit on a theme right away, and I'm you almost, gotta.
1: I know what you're gonna say, and it's the most important part of the movie.
0: Well, maybe I don't know. I don't know if you do, but uh, I guess we might as well talk about it now. There is this um, this other thing we've seen. I I think most recently we talked about it in Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. This idea of a almost always young, almost always male protagonist... That is uh, kind of moving through life aimlessly when suddenly he's bestowed with a great sense of purpose, a new power, a quest to go on, a reason to live, you know. Mm -hmm. Is this what you were thinking of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that Revo Man is really trying to hammer this theme home, but it's one of the most curious parts of the movie to me.
1: I think it is trying to, ha- that's why I think it's so important that the, the punk soundtrack, like, I mm. mean, we're talking actual punk soundtrack. This isn't like, you know, it's fucking, it's like black flag from damaged. Like it's early black. It's like the punk music that like, when you go, I'm going to get into punk and you get into like the clash and the Ramones. And it's actually just like surf pop with distortion. Like that's easy. Punk. Uh-huh. But it's like it's like actual punk music, like the kind that that even today would make
0: your parents go, "This is just noise." I'm not sure how many episodes of the show I'm allowed to mention Lydia Lunch on, so I'll just. Uh, <laughs> I think it's probably best we leave the punk mostly untouched. But yeah, the spirit of it is always what hits me when I think a oh, punk movie. Mm-hmm. For me, it's never about the bands; it's always about the mentality mm-hmm. and. That's the element of Repo Man that really seems to be that outside, out of Hollywood, unconventional type of filmmaking Mm -hmm. that I was also talking about with Vampire's Kiss. Right. You know, this is not just punk, it's lo-fi punk right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the uh, everything about this movie, the fucking effects. Yeah. You know, you probably remember the car scene because it's like the most dramatic effect. Mm -hmm. It's literally we're going to show you the car flying or through the LA skyline. You know, I think you literally said it was space when you were remembering back to it. Mm -hmm. It's just really like super fast speed (laughs) zipping around Mm -hmm. skyscrapers um, into space. But most of the effect, you know, that's a big effect for this movie. Mm-hmm. Turning the car green is a big effect. Mm-hmm. Most of the effects in this movie are real. I call them DIY all the time, but really what I'm talking about is lo-fi. Mm-hmm. They are weird condom alien pictures, you know? Yep. We can't afford aliens. I don't know, take, take water balloon photos <laughs> or whatever the fuck, right? <laughs> or the uh, when we see what happens with the trunk, this is maybe the best example. Right, It's like a freeze frame of a skeleton spliced into, oh, a person was there, freeze frame of a skeleton, no more person. It is the most simple, you could do this effect at home today yourself with no knowledge of any software other than the very basic fundamentals of editing and a clip art of a skeleton. Mm-hmm. And that's really all it would take. And... At the time, oh, maybe it saves money, or maybe it's a little cheap, or whatever. But having that lo-fi mentality is what makes the movie so special. So many years later, mm-hmm. we don't have that many movies that that basically had the confidence to try to get away with freeze-frame skeleton. On we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole movie, I mean,
1: even the, the even the ethos of the movie, but down to the execution, it just feels like a very last resort movie. It feels like a thing we're gonna do, but it's not like our first choice
0: ever. Yeah, yeah.
1: For the characters, for the filmmaking, for but but at the same time, that feels like an intentional thing for the film to be doing. Because it's not like this guy is like, oh man, I'm gonna fulfill my dreams of being a repo man. You know that it's not. It's not like that. It's very much, you know. And and I think that's he why he literally I think, gives
0: them a huge fuck you right before yeah. they're like, "That's cool, you did that. You're in the gang now."
1: Yeah, I think that that aspect of it, and that that is the the aspect of the whole punk nature that makes this movie rise to the top of the list of cult movies. Because one thing that all we have in common who really like cult films is that we probably got a job doing something we didn't really want to do at around this guy's age or mm-hmm. the age he's supposed to be. He's probably like 40, <laughs> but you know, he's playing a 17 uh-huh. year old in the movie. Um And that whole, like it's, it's this thing, it's this thing that happens, you know, I think about it every day of my life, but how do you fuck the system while you have to be a part of the system? Sure. And that's what this movie is really getting at, is like, and and not only is this guy like, he's not, this isn't like an SLC punk situation. He's not rebellion against everything. He's like, well, I need some money because like capitalism exists and you can't just like tear it down for nothing. You can't, you'll die. You won't be able to consume food. And so to like get into car repossession is literally like the most capitalistic job you can find yourself doing. It's like, okay, well, this car is owed to somebody for some arbitrary reason of, you know, you're talking about property ownership and then actual property ownership and banks and who's not paying. And so to 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 say like, fuck all this, fuck the system, I'm punk rock, we're going to have a TV party and then go ah but i my day job i'm a i'm a repo man yeah that is the truest snapshot of watching the like the young fire that wants to dismantle the system that's how you put it out you put it out by employing them as repo men
0: it's funny too because he starts the movie Basically of the mindset that there's nothing worse than a repo man. hmm And then once he starts doing it, it's like a pickup line he uses on the girl. Oh, I get to repossess car. That's pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, no. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a real, for as much as I was sort of like, oh, maybe this movie doesn't play as well today because of its it's sort of uh, not too concerned narrative. Mm-hmm. There is a anti-commercial, anti-capitalist bent to it that really makes it... I mean, I think what's funny watching Repo Man, to me, is that it feels like it's post-apocalyptic. Just the way that the movie shows the world, mm-hmm. this is yet another theme with the movies. We talked about, um, you know, Mise and Sen when we did the... Uh, the Belladonna, Sadness, and Suspiria show. Mm-hmm. Vampire's Kiss shows a lot of old New York. Mm-hmm. And if you simply take the new parts of New York and put them outside the frame, and the old parts of New York and put them inside the frame, you build a scene. You Suddenly New York looks gothic, and that is a side of the city. And in Repo Man, you just when you make all of life about repossession, and everything is just people's burnt-out goods being taken away from them, and the world is entirely graffiti. It's not really changing anything about, you know, the time and place the movie takes place in. Mm -hmm. They don't have to show a space-age device. They don't have to say it's the year 2050. They just show the part... They're showing their unique vision of Los Angeles which is basically this burnout place like an old factory town that's been abused by capitalism is full of graffiti, it's full of punks, there's a lawlessness, you know, let's go do crimes, let's go get sushi and not pay. Like, even the the fucking lines from the movie are like, so you build this entire world and you... Basically, you only show the parts of modern life that have this kind of lawlessness or, or that would work also in a Mad Max future. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, the whole movie feels like it's post-apocalyptic because of that. And I think that is such a, it's such a great place to show a seedy underbelly or a kind of secret Los Angeles conspiracy like the Los Angeles conspiracy that exists in Under the Silver Lake, you know, something mm-hmm. like that, that that did a similar thing. It, it looked at L.A. and it kind of showed the noir parts of L.A. because that is one way you could look at that city. And in this movie, the apocalyptic place was one that, you know, that uh, lends itself to government overreach. It lends itself to this bleak nihilistic picture and nothing working and repossession and the end of capitalism and people not even wanting to be part of a system, of course that works hand-in-hand hand with drugs and with aliens. And, you know, it, it paints a picture of today's world that could also be a place where a thing exists in a trunk that could zap everybody. Mm-hmm. Basic tools of filmmaking stuff, you know? It's just <laughs> just another another bit of that iceberg. And uh, because you asked for it before, we'll credit uh cinematographer Robbie Muller for some of that. there we go there we go, who we had uh talked about a bit previously. I think on the Jim Jarmish when we did uh, dead man mm-hmm. and there's always a a uh, mention of twenty four hour party people okay, I need to go eat some unbranded food <laughs> or uh <laughs> uh we have a website
1: it's Podcast website.com. No, we <laughs> yes, have a website. doublefeature.fm. Uh, the more important website, as you heard before, is patreon.com forward slash feature so that you too can choose a movie for next, well, not for next week, but like one person has chosen for next week. Here's a list of people who didn't
0: pick a movie for next week. Hey, turn in your movie. Henrik Dinter, The Abbot of Unreason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John. Actually, one of them did turn in a movie, but the rest of you. I'm looking at you. Get on the Patreon and turn in those movies. And uh, you, dear listener, it's not too late. Join up on the Patreon now. We want to have you along. We're curious what you're watching. And we would also like to scramble over your movie and figure out how the fuck to pair it with something else.
1: All right, so the time has come. Next week on Double Feature, we were tasked. Do you remember the name of the listener who tasked yeah, it's, us?
0: It's Tony Gleed. I was going to mention okay, him next time. Great. Yes.
1: Okay. Well, I just feel like in, in purposes here, sure. Tony Gleed has tasked us with a film called The Proposition. This
0: is something he's asked us to do a couple
1: times. We usually dodged it and picked one of his easier choices.
0: He is also not the first person to ask for the Proposition. This is yeah. a much requested <laughs> listener pick.
1: So, the Proposition is uh, of all things, um, of all things we've never covered before, an Australian Western film, and then we're pairing that with uh, a movie I watched when I was like 17 or something called I'll sleep when I'm dead with Clive Owen. Uh, It's from 2003. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, extremely heavy handed genre pictures that fuck with brothers Uh, next time on double feature.
0: Watch more fucking film.
1: Bye.